you know, when I'm watching Skinamarink, what I feel like is if I'm a major studio, I'm going to go and I'm going to hire the dude from Skinamarink to make two more movies. The, the, the second movie would be, you know, similarly ethereal, but a little bit more narratively based and set in a high school. The third movie would be even more narratively based, a little less ethereal and set in an office. And in the final third <laughs> you know, end credit stinger of the movie, you'd have Freddy Krueger kind of reach his hands out. And this would be an origin story for Freddy Krueger to bring Nightmare on Elm Street back. Uh, that's all I could really think about watching this. <laughs> Dude, are you, why are you not working at a studio entertaining the world with this shit? It's so good. <laughs> Damn it. That's such a great idea. I haven't seen it yet. I mean, I spend $45,000 on an origin story trilogy for Freddy Krueger. That's how you win because it's promoted on TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> it does. It, it pretty much does feel like TikTok creepypasta type movie. I know Mario, you haven't said it, but Mike, I was telling, I was like, I don't think we could spoil this if we wanted to. Like, there's nothing really to spoil, is there? It's an experience. You got to feel it. Yeah, it's a yeah. it's a vibe yeah. more, as much as it is a movie. I'm bummed I didn't see it at the theater, but <clears throat> I know that really bothered me that it was just like I think. But I can tell you, it was like 1 a.m. I took your advice, I turned all the lights off, I watched with my Bose headset, so I didn't have anything like too nice. loud, and I like immersed myself. And there's the the ending scene is enough that like if you stare at the screen. Other stuff that I don't know if necessarily is there is there. Mike, did you get that too? Staring at the screen, did your it start like, look, now I see a sailboat. Wait, is there something moving? Did it start playing with your eyes? Well, I think the whole movie is kind of like playing with expectations through the static that you're here. Like you get that kind of like brown noise and you get that brown noise for your eyes. And I feel like the movie is so long because like in terms of like a creepypasta context, right? Like usually those types of things are super, super short, but this is kind of that world where you can sink into it. And the aesthetic that was used to make it is trying to kind of drive your mind to fill in the gaps yes. all over the place. So I, I felt like even more so than just the end, I feel like your mind, my mind is just wandering throughout the entire thing. And I would like come back to the movie from something that it's like either something that is on the screen that I'm like, what is that? Or something that I hear that I'm doing that around or one of those kind of bigger moments throughout that's really kind of pulling me back to the external world from the like introspective internal world that, that this film kind of creates. Dude, you're right. I like, this was some Andy Kaufman level shit where you're right. You're just sitting there and I saw the meme of just like of the guy poking the stick saying, do something, do something. And he was poking skin meringue because nothing's happening, but you're filling in the gaps because you're waiting for something. We were talking about this earlier with Batista walking through the woods and just being there and being the <laughs> adult swim serial killer, as Mario put it. You're waiting for something to happen. And then the stuff is playing with your eyes and then your mind starts as you wish. I got to manifest something now. Did you have a similar experience, Mara? With uh, I haven't seen Skinner. He hasn't seen it. Oh, you haven't seen yeah, it. I haven't oh, seen okay, it. Okay. 
Yeah, I just, I just, yeah, that's one. That's I have my my only note for you, Mario, is it, it felt it felt too long. And Mike, I don't know if you you agree. Like, it, did we need? Oh, hundred percent. I mean, I an hour and I, forty minutes of that. Definitely we, took a break and you know came back to it after a little bit. Personally, yeah, I think like just what we were talking about before we went live, Jeff. Um, I think indie indie films should. Uh, Start maybe experiment with film length. I don't think you need not every there's a there's a given that every movie has to be two hours or around two hours. I think you could just do a movie that's an hour and just get away with that. And I think it's still a feature. I mean, that's what a film festival considers a feature, right? A 60 minute movie. Yeah. So just take a movie like that and make it 60 minutes. Make it like a one hour experience. Now more than ever. Well, yeah. I mean, we're getting cinematic shows like The Last of Us and Stranger Things that have these run times. Like The Last of Us went from like an hour and 24 minute episode and then like a 48 minute episode. Like they were jumping around. Like I would not feel slighted at all with a solid 60 minute theater that I, I pay the same price that I would for a 90 minute two hour, I would pay the same price. So what do I care as long as you walk away with an experience? Cause you're paying for an experience. Yeah. Well, I mean, did you see what uh, you heard about the, the 80 for Brady movie? I, I mean, I know of it. I didn't, I didn't know. I'm aware. Okay, so it, the, the 80 for Brady movie did. So they made a lot of money this weekend, actually, but they ended up making less than um, they sold more seats than Night at the Cabin in the Woods. Actually, they actually sold more seats than Cabin in the Woods. But 80 for Brady had a coupon, so you could get like a discount. So everybody who saw that movie got a discount. Um. <laughs> Oh, cool. So now I can make a short with the guy from Jurassic Park. We can have coupon night. <laughs> well, I mean, 80 for Brady is like for, for you know, whatever, older, I don't know, elder, I don't know what, what age group. It's older people. It had, it, it was the closest <laughs> we like, ever got to a nine to five reunion. Exactly. Why didn't they book Dolly Parton? Yeah. But anyway, that movie was actually on a discount and it made less money be, than, than Cabin in the Woods, but even though it sold more tickets. So for the one hour movie, for the one hour version of Skinamarink, Maybe that movie is, uh, you know, that's only uh, two fifty for a ticket or something like that. Well, that gets a little bit into. I mean, what Mike and we're. I don't. Know, you're probably going to say what I'm talking about with the whole AMC charging certain levels for certain seats, and now we are we getting into charging certain levels for certain movies. It's an option. I think. I mean, one of the things for Skinmarink is that it costs fifteen thousand dollars Canadian to make. Yeah, Canadian. fifteen thousand. Canadian, <laughs> right? Like that's, I don't what, know what the that last time that I heard him. <laughs> I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, I, I just don't remember the last time I heard a movie that, I mean, I guess it, it just kind of gives you Blair Witch vibes or, or that, I guess, in the context of what the budget was against the actual box office return because they didn't distribute it to many movie to many movie theaters, and it had a really short run before it went to streaming. Um, but they ended up making about, I think, a little under a million dollars on the theatrical run of this movie, and, and a big part of that. So the way Skin and Marine kind of came into being, uh, the filmmaker released a trailer on Reddit. A producer or distributor saw that trailer on Reddit and worked with the filmmaker to distribute the film. Uh, And when, like, between this, where it's kind of getting discovered and getting distribution, 
I guess it was in some Canadian film festivals and people started talking about it on TikTok. When they were talking about it on TikTok, it wasn't out in a movie theater. It wasn't out in any streaming service, but they think that the buzz around TikTok videos of people saying, I just saw the scariest movie that I've ever seen. It's not for everybody. Not everybody's going to like it, but it was terrifying or whatever. Right. Like um, I, it kind of makes me feel like there is a new emerging market where a movie that evokes something very extreme, uh, an extreme response can elicit uh, short form reviews on TikTok, and a movie like Skinamarink can also generate uh, short form content that is ethereal in nature. And once you see it, you've you've kind of gotten the short form vibe for what the entire movie is going to be. Uh, and I guess it's it's almost like we all have this like concept in our heads of idiocracy being where we're headed, and this is kind of like another version of that where all of the art that ends up being created by independent low budget stuff starts to focus on these like short form distribution methods for finding audiences. And then we end up with like all independent stuff or a big portion of it starts to get back to like not having any narrative and not having any characters (laughs) and not having any stories and being just aesthetic in nature and nothing like nothing beyond that depth. Yeah, and JJ agrees out. He t- owes TikTok and YouTube a big favor, big ups on that too. But yeah, Mike, you're right. I was looking that up too. Uh, he shot the concept called Heck, and that's what he actually sold it. He sold it as like, this is the movie I'm going to do. And then he found some money and did it. So he actually shot that first before he actually shot Skin and Marink. And before that, he was just uploading things that reminded him of his nightmares on YouTube. But yeah, and as of today, it's actually up to two million dollars. So I don't know. Some theaters left it in there, and this was it after. ran here for a while. It, like, did. it was playing at Alamo for a while because it was in that period where there was absolutely no movies out coming out. Yeah, uh, that's why a few of those movies got over, like Plane. Oh yeah, the Avatar did really gap. well. Yeah, the Avatar. It was just Avatar or nothing. <laughs> so Skinny Rink kind of like hung around for a while because Alamo, I swear, played it for three weeks. Um, and also the AMC theater had it going for a long time. That's why I was bummed I didn't see it. Cause I was just like, I was going to get to it eventually. I feel but, like this would even be yeah. a better experience if you saw it in an old dumpy theater. Yeah. I think that would really, Oh, <laughs> no doubt, dude. Like t- take me to the movie theater in the last action hero yeah, exactly. to watch this fucking movie, man. <laughs> yeah. I'm considering getting a- <laughs> alone. Just like he watches the last action hero movie. <laughs> Fucking telephone rolls into the room. It's like, oh, shit. (laughs) Dude, it's kind of a fun experience. I was considering getting a third movie theater membership to the Regal because it's Mm -hmm. I think it's only like $6 a month or something like that. They're dropping. But the Regals are so abandoned around here. Like, you go to it. There's one person doing the whole thing, everything, getting your ticket. Then they walk over to the counter, yeah. and then if you want to get a beer, they have to call their manager, and they come with a <laughs> key to unlock the beer tap, <laughs> and then like you know whatever, and then they you know they do the whole thing, and then you're walking through those gaudy hallways with stars and lights and all <laughs> stuff everywhere, and it's just all kind of starting to get run down. They've got those classic seats that are like super noisy. 
Like if you move an inch, it's just like, <laughs> like it's just like, and you know, and then the theater's empty, and then it's like you know they don't even care. The movie starts, they leave the lights on, it cuts off like thirty minutes into the movie. Uh, I remember when I went because I I saw Dawn of the Dead in three D at that Regal. Yeah, that was a great experience. And it there, it was just like. The first 20 minutes of the movie, I was just like, is it really low? I can barely hear it. <laughs> I was like should, I, should I go tell somebody? And I'm just like, I was the only person in the theater. And I was like, I guess I, no one's going to do it. I should go tell. But around 20 minutes into the movie, it just got super loud all of a sudden. Somebody realized. Somebody like, realized oh, it. That it was going, yeah. yeah, that Regal has that. And look, you're paying for an experience, right? And some of those Regals look like the old show girl sitting at the end of the bar. That was 30 years ago when there used to be a show. Like yeah. the star, <laughs> like you know, the thing is, cigarette. there was a time. There was a time when those movies theaters, like every movie theater, would have their cycle where they would be cool, new, and then eventually they were mm. a dollar theater. You know what I mean? Yep. And now we don't have the dollar yeah. theater tier anymore, which I really miss. I wish there was a dollar theater again. Um, so now they just kind of like get they just fall into nothing, and it's like you can't be a regular front row Joe movie theater anymore. You've got to be sort of a bar and have, you know, chicken fingers <laughs> available. Yeah, sticky. What, what, what Jeff and I have always discussed along these lines is uh, doing movie theaters like a karaoke bar so that you have like one or two main theaters that are showing something that's maybe a little more interactive and for the group. And then you have a number of small rooms off the side that like yeah. people can come in, they get access to all of the streaming services so they don't have to pay a hundred bucks a month to watch all those streaming services. They can pay six bucks, bring the whole family in, get a room, rent it for you know a couple of hours, pay a little bit more, buy some food, buy some drinks, pay a little bit more. But they're just watching streaming services and like a private upscale experience. And you still have some of those like theater community based moments mixed in. Um, that's always the model that I clinks around in the back of my head yeah i like oh, that yeah I, I love that model i think that worked really well because in the end yeah i still it's creepy when you're watching it by yourself but it's even creepier when you're watching a movie like skin and rink and there would be like four people strategically placed in different spots like i saw Bar barbarian in brooklyn and it was just literally like that it was just like i feel like that's that in itself when you're parallel watching is in a community film experience which i think is really important especially now Make every movie, make every movie the Rocky Horror Picture Show, basically. Yes. It's like anytime you're seeing a movie in the large group theater, you're going there to cause a ruckus. You're going there to make noise, celebrate the shit that you love about these things. You go watch Endgame out there. Everyone's fucking screaming Avengers Assemble, right? Like those kinds of theater experiences, I think, are what they need to angle towards, even if they don't go to as extreme a model as like my dream scenario. Uh, they just need to angle towards that experience. Keep it an experience. You can't do the the seat paying thing is not something that feels great, especially in that no. situation where you're in the Regal Theater all by yourself and you paid two extra bucks to sit in the middle of the theater. Like why? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's a that's not a good idea what they're doing, but that's a terrible idea. Again, yeah, I you're going for the experience. I go out of my way for a Marvel film to go to the first showing because I know it's going to be packed with the alpha watchers that want to watch it and they're going to be screaming and yelling. And then I'll also go out of my way to try to see a movie like Skin of a Rink when there's hardly anybody in there just to get something different. Sometimes I'm in the mood for Alamo, sometimes in the mood for Cinemark. Uh, and 
would you pay would you pay like super extra for a ticket to Skinamarink if it guaranteed you're the only person in the theater? <laughs> I think I would consider that. Yeah, I think we we I think I totally would because like you just get to sit. It's one seat, and you buy the whole theater, and you're one just right seat in the middle. In the yeah. entire theater. <laughs> <laughs> in the middle, and that's all you get. Subsidize and, the whole theater cost for like how many seats they're selling right. against that. Put it in off times. You know, there's yeah, ways two a.m. It's like you get this one yeah. seat at two a.m. It's all yours. Right. <laughs> We're not going to be there anyway. Just close the lights off when you're done. <laughs> <laughs> Lock up when you're done. Sweep up on your way out too. But I think leaning into creating these experiences at our theater are important because the content is, we're starting to feel that shift. And Mike, you're the one, and Mike and JJ actually brought this to our attention. Serendipitously, the back rooms got greenlit right when Skinamarink is like a huge hit. And when I was watching some of the clips that you and JJ told us to watch, it's the same exact feeling. Like you feel like oh yeah you're you feel like it's a very limbo like state in there. So I was like, wow! And they're actually hiring like, isn't he like the original game developer? He's like seventeen. He's gonna be directing it over his his break, his summer break. Like content is changing, and that's the kind of stuff that you'd feel like that's already a huge success on YouTube. Why are you gonna put it in theaters? You're gonna have to find now the people who like it on YouTube something compelling enough to get that same experience out in theaters. Well, I think the, the biggest difference between something like Skinamarink and something like the back rooms is that the back rooms, while it has a consistent aesthetic that you would expect like, Oh, a back rooms movie. Am I just going to be walking around yellow hallways endlessly, like running into one thing here or there for an hour and a half. Um, I mean, that would be possible if the back rooms was just aesthetic but because it has its basis in so much functional lore there's a real story to be told that's beyond what is explicitly laid out in the youtube videos and the youtube videos can be treated more as a scattered record that a viewer can piece together to kind of extract those pieces of lore but if you spend time with it or i think i sent you a video on from uh film theory that kind of dives into the lore of the back room oh yes yep. and one of the things that really stands out to me is that this lore is anchored in real life events so there are things like earthquakes that are referenced to in the videos from the back rooms but that story isn't really explicitly told what's the connection between the back rooms being created and this earthquake, this all occurring kind of in the nineties again. So you can have that kind of period piece, stranger things type feel just by anchoring. Oh, plus there's like a lot of kids going missing. So you have that same kind of like grabber period piece style thing that you can layer on there, uh, anchor the story to one or two people that no clip into the back rooms. And then you can kind of gather this exposition and build out why are the back rooms there? How, how did we get access to them? What is the purpose of them? Have they always been there? All of these weird kind of questions that come up from multidimensional storylines. I think all of that is built into the back rooms and that it's one of those franchise. I mean, it's a potential franchise to me. It feels like if they do this right um, and they really kind of like help expose the complex narrative that is behind 
the story that's being loosely referenced in the YouTube videos, that there's a whole world that you can make movies about. That's what I'm really curious about. I mean, again, this is something that's very much, you know, with the creepypasta, it's more about creating, like literally in this example, it's creating an image, but, you know, creepypasta is just like, what Skinnamarink was doing with your eyes, like just trying to force this imagery to be jammed into your head. But what is that leading to? Like, what is going to be that next step after you do, you know, like, shh, hey, what's your name? What happens after that? And I think that's what you're saying, right? Like, this, that's where we're going to start diving into whatever this film is going to be. Well, it's, it's like there's... So I guess I, while they are aesthetically similar and really do kind of give you that same vibe, it's it's almost like there's some of that kind of content that exists out there on YouTube that is more like an augmented reality game that you're supposed to kind of piece things together and figure things out. And the back room exists more in that kind of realm where there's so much you can... It, you can do an MCU on it because you can just go into every detail. You can explore every detail. Everything is intentional. Everything connects to something else. And I think you're going to kind of see two lanes of content come out of this general aesthetic that we're feeling in both of like Skinnamarink and stuff that you can see on uh, YouTube for the back rooms, but that those two lanes are going to be the ARG type storylines that have a lot of depth embedded into the story that has not been explicitly told. And then you're going to have the skin and type things that it's almost like the aesthetic comes first and the story kind of evolves from or fills in from that aesthetic um, as opposed to like always having a narrative anchor in mind that you can expand on. And the more that we go to long form content getting created based off these types of things, the more we're going to become familiar with both of those flavors. You know, Mario, you kind of touched on it a, a little bit when we were, when you're spot of just like, it's impossible to make a Minecraft movie. They need to make a hundred Minecraft movies. I feel like this is a little bit of what we're leaning towards, right? Because the back rooms did inspire a lot of like, fan-made games and you know there was a, a short horror film that was already uploaded like last year people started filling in those gaps of what it was creating and then they started creating content of that like as a filmmaker was that like like you get inspired that's kind of what you were doing before right you were watching stuff on vhs this is awesome i want to make it now where it's 2023 people are like this is awesome i'm gonna make it uh, yeah and i think Movie studios are trying to figure out what to do with these things that are popular. You know what I mean? <clears throat> they just they know that if they buy a comic book and turn it into a movie, that works. But how do you buy an internet meme and turn that into a movie? <laughs>